0: Talk features thought leadership interviews with bank and credit union executives. If you are the CEO or would like to be an executive one day, this is the podcast for you. Learn something new in each episode to improve the performance at your financial institution. And now, here's our host, Charlie Kelly.
1: Hi, and welcome to Bank Talk. I'm Charlie Kelly, your host and partner at Remedy Consulting. Today, we're talking about millennials and Generation Z, how to recruit them and what you can do to keep them around. So let's get started. Okay, welcome back to Bank Talk. Today, I have with me Angela Letting from Northview Bank and Carla Bush from Minnesota Bankers Association. And we're going to talk about recruiting in the bank space. Specifically, we're trying to focus this on recruiting millennials and Generation Z. So thank you for joining us, uh, Angela and Carla.
2: Thank you for the invitation.
1: As we talked about prior to this podcast, podcast with three people is, is often challenging. So I'm going to try to keep you guys relatively directed to so we're not overlapping each other too much. Uh, Angela, would you mind just a quick introduction? What, uh, tell us about your current role listeners have a frame of reference.
2: Sure. Um, I've been in banking for a little over 20 years now, and my current role with Northview Bank is as a market manager and commercial lending.
1: And uh, Carla?
2: Yes,
3: I am Director
2: of Education and
3: Communications with the Minnesota Bankers Association. So we are a trade association representing Minnesota banks.
1: We're going to focus today on Millennials and Generation Z, and I'm going to define those two. Again, this is probably. Right off the internet, so uh, I'm not sure that these dates are exactly perfect, but you know a millennial is sort of defined as as 1985 to 2000, uh, having having been born in those years. Generation Z, having been somewhere between maybe 1995 and 2000 and beyond. So you know we're talking about an age group that that goes up uh, from. Zero to you know thirty to thirty-five years old, if I'm, if my math is correct. So let's talk. I want to start out with some some articles that I've seen, Carla, on your side about competitive hiring practices and just kind of what is going on. You know what it takes to sort of bring somebody into your financial institution and keep them there. Give give us just a couple of minutes on some of the things you've done recently in the in the article space.
3: Sure. What we're finding is that, that the banking industry is struggling to find employees. And this, this isn't anything that is unique to the banking industry. There's healthcare, the, the skilled trades. Um, you know, you're hearing all kinds of industries that are really struggling to find people. You know, they're, they're finding that since 2016 in Minnesota. Anyway, there, there's more jobs than there are people looking to fill those so we, as an association, created a, a bank staffing task force, really to look at what can we do to make banking a desirable career choice to these this, the millennials, the, the Generation Z that are coming up. Because what we're hearing is this group they, they think banking's boring. You know, there's this stereotype of a banker being male, um, pale frail. And this idea of banking isn't just necessarily sitting behind a teller line. There is so much more. There's technology, there's human resources, there's marketing, there's the ability to to really give back to a community through a banking career. So what we've been doing is, is really trying to find a way to make banking a desirable career choice. It isn't something that someone just stumbles into.
1: Yeah, that's a great perspective because I think, as you said, every every industry struggles with it, but I think you have some probably unique struggles that go on in the banking credit union space. If they don't find it exciting, they're, then then it's probably going to lead to some turnover. We saw a statistic from, uh, I think this was U.S. Bureau of Labor stats, where it says that the average tenure of workers from age 25 to 34 is uh, 2.8 years. And to me, what is surprising about that is I would have thought that the younger generation, under 25, might have been that short. Uh, By the time you're 25, I would have thought you're kind of in career mode to some degree. Maybe not. Um, And again, I I say this because I have children, and some of them are, and some aren't. Right in that space, some of them aren't ready for that. You know that concept of career. Carlo, as I think about that, right? Are bankers inside the Minnesota Bankers Association experiencing this? I mean, does this happen in banking as well, or is this? I mean, this is an industry wide stat.
3: Right. Um, You know, and it is happening in banking and it it actually didn't surprise me at all. I read that statistic and I think it's dealing with, you know, I've done my own share of hiring over the the past few years. And there's this mindset of the millennials in particular for for right or wrong that to move up, you have to move on. You know, I've, I've had several people in that age group tell me that if I'm not being promoted every two years, I need to find a new job. Very much, you know, there's that stepping stone of someone who, you know, I'm a generation X, for example, That perhaps I felt like I could be in a position for five years to really prove myself where the millennials tend to have a much steeper stepping stone of of, of every two years. They want to see that promotion. They want to see that new job title. They want to see the, the bump in salary. And that's where I think even in the banking industry, then, you know, it's at that entry level. So when you've got people entering as tellers, entering perhaps as credit analysts, that they're wanting to move up that ladder as quickly as possible. And when you're at a larger bank, you can perhaps do that within the structure of your own bank. But if you're at a smaller community bank where perhaps that position, that next position up the line just isn't there yet because it's a smaller bank, then they're moving on to the next thing and looking to continually kind of grow that. Exactly. We're seeing reverse of that perhaps a little bit with the generation Z because you know they lived through now they lived through the great recession as as children. They're living through this pandemic. They're much more pragmatic and much less interested in taking chances by perhaps moving jobs than the millennials tended to be.
1: Oh, that's a very interesting dynamic. And and specifically Right. I wonder if, you know, this this pandemic as another, you know, maybe you don't call it a recession, but this pandemic has put us all in a little bit different state of humility. Right. And I I hate to use that word, but I don't know. It would be very interesting now if that same dynamic of I've got to move every two years um, exists one year later. Right. This 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 terrible year that we've been through, right? It'd be very interesting to see if any humility came around. They said, maybe I should just hold on <laughs> to this job, right? It's a it's an interesting conversation,
3: and, and I think uh, we will see that. You know, we had a side conversation before we started recording, and Angela mentioned, I believe, a niece in a rest in the restaurant business, and that's something we're looking at. You know, there's no stability in in retail or hospitality right now. There is great stability in the banking industry. So how can we go to that group of people that are feeling insecure and going, hey, there's a whole industry over here that's not going anywhere. And that, in fact, continued to hire during the pandemic. So really, I think, you know, it's, it's figuring out how to get that message out there.
1: Yeah, that's a great, that's a really interesting perspective. Angela, I want to turn this to you just a little bit. So while hiring within the, your financial institution, right? And I'm going to ask you a two-part question. What's the most difficult position to hire for today? And really kind of a second part of that question is, is there a secret place to find somebody that hangs around for more than a couple of years? Secret sauce there somewhere?
2: Well, let's see. The most difficult position to hire for, it's kind of a, a toss-up. Your frontline staff, unfortunately, does tend to roll over more often. So you're almost constantly looking for that frontline staff. There's a lot that they have to learn in a short amount of time. And as we've referenced earlier. There's a mindset of, I have to move on to move up. So it's when we're looking at hiring, we literally are saying, can we keep this person 18 to 24 months? That's almost become part of our thought process as we are hiring, which is sad to say. As to another position that's hard to find, it is the lender because you need to stay someplace for a while to build the knowledge up that you need to become a lender. So when people are leaving quickly, you don't have enough time to get the resources and knowledge into their brain to be able to hire them. Therefore, you start pilfering from each other to find those lenders. Not the best scenario, but it's currently what's happening. Now, a right. secret sauce, well, if I had a secret sauce, I could I wouldn't be sharing it. Goodness <laughs> in reality, networking is usually the best way to find people. I mean, you can list obviously out there, but you will probably end up with better results through the network of people you know or that your employees know than just throwing it out there
1: And then I think that would hold true if you if you'd go talk to somebody who's a a headhunter. I think you'd probably realize that that's that's sort of their mantra as well is go out and find the person that's your best employee and see who they know because they might have the work ethic they might have the culture they might have the things that fit what you do for a living they they fit your organization and it doesn't always right? i mean that's a that's a big part of whether or not you're keeping them around too is it's you know is there an organizational fit can we spend just a minute you you had a very interesting comment there on the lenders and this is just me me being naive. Does a lender think of a position right as we talk about this, I, I need to move every two years. Do they think of their next role as the head of lending? Like when you hit that plateau, and there are there are certainly plateaus in anybody's career, but you hit a plateau, and in general, right, I think in the in the h r industry, you would say you got two different ways to go. you can be my best technical person, right, my best uh, subject matter expert or I can move up the management path. And I would think in the lending space, maybe it's not my best subject matter expert. It might be my best uh, best salesperson. It might be my best compensated. Honestly, right? Mm-hmm. How do you think about that when you hit that lending plateau? Like, well, like where are those folks looking to go?
2: That truly does depend. Some of the people that I know that are lenders are truly happy being lenders. They enjoy the aspects of the job, working with different people. You know, if they're looking to change, it comes down to how they're compensated more so than what's my next step. They're like, no, I love doing this, and I'm good at it. But, you know, bank A of where I'm at is only giving me why. So that would be their motivational one. And lenders also, if you know, maybe maybe they just wanted that lending experience to improve their resume, to have that box checked. As I have had experience in this, I understand what it is. But the next thing I want to do is blah. Usually in that scenario, they would be looking to move into middle management or upper management depending on their own personal career track.
1: So at that point, then maybe they are, depending upon whether they have aspirations to be a manager or whether they lo- they enjoy that lending track, that might split them right there. Yep, that's you. that's usually the case. Does a lender see being in multiple places at multiple banks as a as a career move uh, outside of the comp side, right? So I can mm-hmm. go across the street, he might count me a little better <laughs> or she might count me a little bit better. Do they see that? Do they see the moving, you know, do they feel like they have to have three banks on their resume before they can go take the next role, you know, uh, management minded? I don't think so.
2: Now that is just my own perspective. I worked in three banks in my career and I do know a lot of people that are lenders. And when we're looking to hire, when we see that you've jumped through three banks, that's actually kind of a scarier thought to us because are we, we're looking at it as, are we just another stepping stone or are you a long-term, we want to invest resources in you to build you into management kind of person? Excellent
1: okay that makes a lot of sense okay so I'm gonna turn this back a little bit to to uh, Carla Carla I, I think a big part of this is recruiting and recruiting tools right can you give us just the lay of the landscape around I know you were involved in uh, be a banker which uh, be a which I, I believe to be a collective of ideas around how to make sure people are proud to be a banker and, and you know the, the results of that but there also must be recruiting tools that you think about when you're trying to figure out you know the five ways you might get your next lender in or the five ways you might get your next teller in to kind of keep that pipeline full. Can you give me just a, you know, overview on how the how community banks are thinking about that these days?
3: Absolutely. You know, what we're trying to do is is I mentioned earlier this this idea of banking being boring, that banking is not boring. In fact, you know, and we had a committee meeting, this was pre-pandemic, and, and the committee was talking about school f- um, job fairs at college or um, local high schools. And one of the bankers mentioned that they got uninvited from their high school career fair. And we're like, why in the world would they uninvite a local business? And they said, well, the kids think banking is boring. So this there's this idea of, okay, it's, it's anything but. So how do we get this message out to those 18 to 25-year-olds? So we did, we created a couple of different websites um, and hashtags to go along with that um, as toolkits for bankers to help in their recruiting efforts. So the first is, as you mentioned, it's beabanker.com. We're trying to hashtag be a banker in everything, encouraging our members when they're posting job advertisements, even when they're doing social media posts about things that their banks are doing out in the community to do that hashtag be a banker to really show that um, there's much more involved than, again, sitting behind a teller window necessarily. Or even if you're starting sitting behind a teller window, that this is a great career stepping stone to a a lifelong career. Um, So at that website, it's very much geared towards someone who's interested in banking as a career. So there are videos on there. There are um, banker stories where we're profiling lots of different people who are bankers in Minnesota and what they do in their free time. Maybe they run marathons or they're coaching little league hockey or to show that there's these people are real people that have lives beyond their banks. And then a second website that we've developed is actually Iamabanker.com. And that website is for our banks to use in their recruiting efforts. So there's sample social media posts. There are Scripts that if you're going out to career fairs or you're even going out to talk to elementary or middle school children about financial literacy, all kinds of different toolkits that bankers can use to get on there and help in those recruiting efforts. Right now, working with a local production company on a series of videos around the be a banker topic, trying to be a little quick, a little irreverent, something like you'd see on TikTok or Instagram. Not that I know anything about TikTok because I'm much too old for that, but this series of six 30 second videos that banks can share Again, just to get this idea out there that banking is a fun career, and you've got the stability that goes along with it as well,
1: and I know that a lot of the bankers associations give out scholarships each year, right? and I would assume that's probably to try to recruit folks that are eventually going to college and and you know then eventually you know hope to get them back into the banking world. Is that the concept around that, or is that sort of a I never really could understand those scholarships and whether that's a right one of the one of the main focuses is to try to get young people to come along once they once they leave college. Or if it's more of a perk for your bank members to say thanks for being a member of, you know, XYZ Bankers Association, Minnesota Bankers Association in this world. Thanks right. for being a member. Let me help your kid get through you know, get through school or at least get through, you know, a partial year or what have you.
3: there's a place for scholarships. And certainly I think it's like you said, it's it's more of a, hey, here's someone who's maybe interested in banking. Let's help them along. But you're looking at what you may be giving out one or two scholarships a year. You know, that reach is very, very small. Where what we're looking at more is trying to really widen that reach. So that your your average 18 year old, he's scrolling or she's scrolling through TikTok or Instagram reels. And they're coming across some videos that like, Hey, you know, this person is a banker and they actually work in IT or their work in marketing. And this idea of, I never even thought about going into banking as a career because I'm not interested in math. You don't necessarily have to be interested in math to be a successful banker, even a successful lender. So really trying to get that word out there to as wide an audience as possible.
1: I wonder if people person is more important than math. in Now, now certainly there's plenty of math in banking, but as you think about the folks that you want to recruit inside a bank, and maybe Angela, I'll ask you that question. I'm going to make this a two-part question as well for you and make it hard for you. Um, okay, thanks. The <laughs> first one is, I, I would assume that being a people person is very important. So I'll, I'll just make that assumption. But as I, I think about who are you recruiting from at that in that teller line, let's use that one as the one you kind of pointed out as probably the the hardest to fill, or the, or maybe the, the most turnover because it's an entry level, you know, more or less entry level position. Within that teller line, where are you recruiting from and who, you know, is this somebody who formerly worked in retail? Like what can you give us a profile of the person that you're after when when you come out and try to look for somebody on that teller line?
2: when you are when we're talking about tailor line staff yes we are looking for a little bit more of a customer relations person so retail experience is great because well you have to deal with people in all of their various moods from happy to everything's all your fault and having some retail experience does help manage those particular instances we also look for people that do want to have a career path. When we're hiring, we are trying to find people that we can grow within the bank with the intent of, you know, hopefully hanging on to them for more than 2.8 years. It's very interesting if you look at our bank and we'll go with uh, the boomer generation and Gen X and then on to the other two, there's kind of a split in tenure. Gen X and older, we've tend to been, be here for a while. We had a frontline staff that retired after 30 years and she was frontline staff the entire time. And at the same instance, the younger people that we're hiring, they're moving away and moving off quicker and quicker. But regardless, yeah, you are correct. People, person, skills, when we're looking at the front line is very important. Math is helpful, but let's face it, we do have computers. And as long as you can keep your numbers sequentially correct, the computer will probably do most of the math for you.
1: Yeah, gotcha. Okay. That, that that follows. That makes a lot of sense. With okay. So now I have a question and, and Angela, I'm gonna start with you and then maybe maybe turn it over to Carla as well. If I want to be a CEO someday, I think there's two paths. One of them is to work your way up and one of them is to buy the place. But if I if I choose the first one, which is which is, you know, what's the right career path up the chain? Are you finding that, you know, most CEOs are coming from inside the chain and meaning there is a path, right? And I don't know if that's from teller or lender or something up to the president's desk, or is it as soon as that CEO turns over, they go or the board of directors goes out and looks for another CEO. For our listeners who aren't CEOs, is there a normal path up the chain? Is there, a, you know, are there things that you should think about as you're moving that direction?
2: I can't point to any normal path because I do know CEOs that started on the front line. I know CEOs that started in the back office. I know people that just, well, got hired outside when somebody was, you know, from an outside position when the previous CEO left. The one thing that you need to, re- focus on if you're becoming or your dream is to become that CEO is to get a well-rounded view in banking. So it doesn't matter necessarily where you start, but how you acquire your experience as you go. You're obviously going to have to pick something that suits your personality and your desires, whether that's front of the house where you're dealing with customers every day or back of the house where you're learning how the bank's books run, how we invest our funds to continue to make them productive for us, how we deal with regulation both sides of that equation are important for a CEO to know, but you got to start with one or the other. I'm just trying to illustrate that neither one will prevent you from reaching that chair. You start with one, go up to probably middle management level, and then start looking more at the actual operations of a bank and finding out, okay, where is my knowledge lacking? I really want to sit in that chair. Well, I've been lending. So I understand how lending impacts our books. I don't understand how investing impacts our books. What resources do I need to learn that piece? There's various organizational committees inside of a bank that regulate a lot of the operational things that happen. The ALCO committee, which uh, sets pricing for the banks, sets how they're looking to do their investment strategy, kind of does the stress testing on how healthy the bank is. If you can work your way up into that one, that's kind of one of the key things you do want to be a part of at some point to get to a CEO, because it has a lot to do with the full-on operations. But as I was saying, you don't necessarily have to have started as a lender to get there. You don't necessarily have to have started in the back room working with the transactions of the bank itself rather than the customers. It's just a place to get to as you move yeah. forward up through this, the the lane that works best for you.
1: Yeah. So it seems like that rounded view, you, you absolutely need to know a little bit about everything that's going on in the bank. And I would suppose uh, uh, right, a right up chunk of that is also going to be personality. And, you know, do you have the ability to do the, the lending piece and go out and, you know, Handle the commercial side, or at least the customer side of the bank, and et cetera. So,
2: I was just going to say, I do know CEOs that are extroverts and CEOs that are introverts, and both of them are fabulous at. Well, all of them. I more than, I do know more than two, but both <laughs> personality types are fabulous at the job. They just approached it from different personality aspects and different lanes to get up there because they went through the lane that fit them best to gain the knowledge.
1: Carla, did you have any other thoughts on on that topic? You know, related to related to how to get to the CEO suite.
3: You know, I guess the only thing I would add is as a young person in particular, as you're moving up that chain, don't be shy to go for what you want and to ask for it. And as Angela said, you know, you need that well-rounded of understanding all of the different aspects of the bank. I recently had the opportunity to interview one of our members who is the first female bank president of her community bank. And we asked her that kind of very question of what would what advice would you give a young person who wants to move into your position and her advice was very straightforward of don't be afraid to ask for what you want. She said right away when she was at the bank interviewing for her very first position, you know, they gave the where do you see yourself in 10 years question. And she said, I want to be president, CEO of a bank. And they at the time, you know, you kind of scoff a little bit and you feel like, oh, this, this person's really bold. But you know what? She's the president, CEO now about 10 years later. So really you know, take that bull by the horns um, and to get the education you need, get the experience you need, and, and don't be shy about going for your goals.
2: I was just going to add in to, to compliment with what Carla is saying. A lot of banks, if, you, if you've if you interviewed honestly and stated your goals correctly, will help you with your education. I know, you know, using my own bank as an example, we will send you to additional training to help you advance that career grow, goal or to grow in your current role so you understand it better to have the ability to leap forward. We'll even offer some actual, besides accessing all of the great courses that the MBA offers, we will actually do some tuition reimbursement as well for college courses to help our people build their careers as they go forward.
1: Yeah, and that's a great segment into one of the really kind of our last topic here, which is education and you know how how should a a bank uh, be thinking about education and really you know so the, I think there's always a balance between what if you're the CEO and you're in a community bank with sort of limited funds. Where do you invest in education? Is that, you know, because not everybody's going to, you know, the Wisconsin School of Banking, right? Not everybody's going to uh, to finish an accredited program, but there's there's probably a breaking point where you say, you know, this is a group I'd be willing to invest in and whether it's tuition reimbursement or what have you. Angela, I'm going to ask you to just kind of finish the, because you you brought the thought up. How does your, how does your bank approach that? And, you know, have you, do you have any thoughts on who gets reparations for college credits versus, versus, you know, a finance class you might want to send them to that maybe is non-accredited? Is there a way to think about that or is it a a mishmash?
2: We'll be right back.
0: Join me for insightful interviews with thought leaders and industry experts. We discuss how optimizing supply chains can break down the barriers that are holding businesses back. That's All Business, No Boundaries by DHL Supply Chain. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.
2: It's a little bit of a mishmash from certain people that are, I mean, let's face it, not everybody wants to move up. Some people are really happy with what they do. I've got a number of people that I manage that I'm so grateful that they're really happy in what they do. But banking regulation changes, baking Banking technology changes. We need to keep them educated. So, we will send them to specific courses related to their current role to make sure they have the knowledge that they need to provide the best service they can for our organization to our customers. On the flip side, I had a young gal that was working for me that came in and said, How do I advance in the bank? How do I get an education? What can I do? So, we sat down and we talked about where she wanted to go, how she wanted to get there, what education resources were available to her, and how she could access them through the bank. So, we specifically started her with educational resources she didn't have to start growing in a direction within the organization.
1: Yeah, and I would say you, did, you, did, you don't want, as a manager, 15 people that want your job in, in the role below you, right? You want a mix. At least this is, again, my philosophy. It might be a terrible one, but, uh, but uh, um, right, you want a mix of people who, who are at a place where they want to be and they're good at it. And then and you also want a group that wants your job because you're not going to take the next job until somebody takes yours. Right.
2: Education is an ongoing thing and highly important, especially with all of the changes that come out with regulations. So you can't ignore it within the industry. You have to invest something into your people to keep your organization on on top and on task. We take a lot of these courses and we've got internal resources as well where we've built, you know, hey, okay, you want to know about lending? Here's some introductory information on it. Then when you're done with that, come and talk to me and I want to gauge what you've learned so I know what I should send you to next. Maybe now you've got enough to go on to a more formalized course. It's a really important thing to keep educating your people. I can't stress it enough. It's also how you help retain them because they know they are being invested in and that you value them.
1: Carla, I'd like to open that question up to you as well. You know is there is there a right mix of resources? I know the I know the bankers' associations generally offer various ways to become educated, but you know in your opinion, is there a right mix of resources or a right mix of of education for specific employees or you know, again, is that a mishmash in your opinion?
3: You know, it's it's a bit of a mishmash. We offer obviously education is a huge part of what we do as a trade association. You know, we're offering hundreds of classes a year on everything, the lending, the regulation, the compliance, customer service. You know, so this idea of I think you've got to look at your individual employee and say that this is what this person wants. As Angela said, This maybe this is someone who wants to be front of the house and is very good at doing that, but let's get them some training on some customer service skills so they're not getting burnt out quite so quickly when they're dealing with angry customers. Or let's make sure that they understand The the physical security, you know, things like that, that you think about in a bank versus someone who really is on that career path. Let's get them in the Leadership Development Academy because we understand that they want to move up that line and to become into management. So really, I think, you know, our goal as an association is, is to have something for everyone so that no matter that career path that you've chosen for yourself or for your people, that, that we're going to get that covered. We're going to get your technical skills covered, but we're also going to help you if there's that kind of career path that you've chosen for yourself.
1: As a, as a member of quite a few bankers' associations at Remedy, I don't know that I've ever had a time where I've heard any bank in a specific state, you know, whose whose association they're under, ever have a bad thing to say about the availability of resources that the bankers' associations do to try to keep. The, you know, their constituents. Well, no, right. <laughs>
3: yeah,
1: no, I think it's great. I mean, it. it like I said, I've, I've never really had a banker say, where can I go get more education? You know, I, if anything, I said, I feel like they, they have the ability to send a person to a skill set seminar that matches what, you know, that person is looking for. So, uh, you know, and I've looked over, you know, a lot of the things that Minnesota's doing. I think you guys do a phenomenal job with it. So. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so Angela, is there anything else you'd like to add before we wrap up here? Any any other uh, career advice or any other thoughts on the on the process?
2: Since this whole conversation has been kind of about how do you find and retain, I would suggest that as a banking industry, the best thing we can do is to keep educating our employees because it is a demonstrable uh, investment in them. They, they realize that they're valuable to the organization. And with the younger folks that are coming in, um, I've learned that it's really important to lay out the steps to get to or to get from point A to point B. You know, Maybe I've got Sarah who's a credit analyst and she wants to get into commercial lending. Lay those pieces out for her so that she understands that she's actually advancing because then she can see she's making progress to the goal that she has. If you just say, oh yeah, you'll get there someday, that doesn't usually satisfy the desire of how do I know that I'm going to. So I find it really important to lay out that path if you have people that want to go a specific direction. The caveat is, of course, you can't promise what you don't have. So you got to be careful that you don't promise to make them a commercial lender and they complete all the steps and you don't have a slot. So you couch it carefully to say you'll be considered the next person when we have that slot if you complete these steps. It really helps with giving them something to drive for and accomplish and see the value of staying with you.
1: Yeah, that's a great perspective when you talk about retention, right? I mean, I would argue that most of the folks that are leaving after a couple of years are probably leaving because they either don't fit culturally, you know, don't love the current job or don't have a career path, don't think they have a career path. So just that concept of showing them what they could be if they want to, uh, I think it's, it, that's pretty important. Okay. So that's about it. That's all I had for this podcast. Um, I'm going to ask both of you, and, and maybe I think this one might be a little more directed to Carla. Are there any other tools or any other resources that Bankers should be thinking about, you know, as they kind of, as they kind of think. Well, as they decide how to educate this sort of group of younger folks that are coming into the workforce to keep them around longer than a couple of years. I mean, are there other tools we can talk about? Anything else? Anything else you'd like to add before we wrap up?
3: Um, you know, the only thing I would mention is is we do a, a compensation survey, um, as do many state bank associations. We're certainly not unique in that but that that's it, compensation is a big part of it. Absolutely. Um, you know, Angela mentioned that I might be perfectly happy being a lender at this bank, but if the bank across the street's going to offer me a, a better compensation package, then that temptation to move is certainly going to be there. We, we do offer that compensation survey that we had all always in, want our banks to participate in. And then, you you know, it's something that they can purchase to make sure that they're staying competitive, not only in compensation in terms of dollars and cents, but benefits, some of those intangibles. It's going to be really interesting to see as we go back to our new normal, the work from home situation, you know, how banks are adjusting to that and allowing some employees to work from home, which is an entirely different subject. So I don't want to get us off on that. But those are the type of, of intangible benefits that banks are really going to have to be looking at as they move forward in order to retain their best
1: people. Okay. So I'm going to ask you a question I didn't prep you for prior to our podcast. In those compensation surveys, right? do you ever have banks that are are uncomfortable participating because they're afraid to give away the secret sauce to the bank next door? Did, do you ever get that? Is that is that part of the dynamic around who participates in a in a, a comp survey? Uh,
3: no, it's all confidential and anonymous. So really, we haven't had that issue. We've got well over a hundred banks typically participate in the survey, okay. and it's all done. We we hire a company that does this for us. So you know they're filling out surveys online and submitting it. So it's all anonymous. So no, really, actually, that's not
1: an issue that we've had. The compensation survey results become a blended view of what's going on in the state.
3: Right. You're getting your high, your low, your medium, you know, sorting these this data over, you know, 17,000 different ways. But, yeah, very much you're getting that of congregate information. So no worries about
1: secret sauce. Okay, good. Well, see, even I learn something every day. Thank you very much. I really appreciate you taking the time. I think this has been uh, both conversational and, and educational, which is, which is always good in a podcast. So thank you very much.
2: It was fun. <laughs> thank you very much. I appreciate being a part of it.
1: Well, great conversation today on trying to retain a group of employees that even the bank and credit union industry has a hard time figuring out not only how to hire them, but how to keep them around. Well, that's all for Bank Talk. This is Charlie Kelly. Thanks again for joining us and keep on learning.
0: And that's a wrap for episode 21 of Bank Talk podcast. For more information on the Minnesota Bankers Association and their initiatives, I am a banker.com and beabanker.com. You are welcome to go to their website. And thanks again to Remedy Consulting for sponsoring the podcast. See you in the next episode.